Welcome to Making Special Education Actually Work, an online publication presented in blog and podcast form by KPS for Parents. As an added benefit to our subscribers and visitors to our site, we're making podcast versions of our text-only blog articles so that you can get the information you need on the go by downloading and listening at your convenience. We also occasionally conduct discussions with guest speakers via our podcast and transcribe the audio into text for our followers who prefer to read the content on our blog. Where the use of visual aids, legal citations, and references to other websites are used to better illustrate our points and help you understand the information, these tools appear in the text-only portion of the blog post of which this podcast is a part. You will hear a distinctive sound during this podcast whenever reference is made to content that includes a link to another article, website, or download. Please refer back to the original blog article to access these resources. Today is January 12, 2022. This special post-podcast is titled, A Discussion of Instructional Apps with Zafar Elsik of Atsumo. In this podcast, Zafar and I discuss his technology solutions for early intensive intervention using smart devices with young children struggling with autism and other developmental and learning challenges, the current state of technology in special education, and how families can access appropriate assistive technologies for free through publicly funded programs. Thank you so much for being in this podcast with me today. I really, truly appreciate you making the time, especially since we're having to accommodate international time zones and you're, I'm here in the United States and you're in Turkey. If you don't mind, could you just go ahead and, and give us just a brief introduction of yourself and your product? Yeah, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. My name is Zafer. I am co-founder of Otsimo. At Otsimo, we are developing apps for kids with special needs, mostly for autism, Down syndrome, and mental challenge kids. What we are trying to do, we try to provide the early and intensive education uh, through the mobile devices and the speech therapy as well. I have a brother with autism, and he, he has done verbal for a long time, and I realized that he has a special interest in smart devices one day, but uh, I couldn't find any suitable apps for my brother. The typical apps have a lot of uh, have a lot of advertisement as well as like they have a lot of sounds, animations, and so on. And my brother did actually like to play with them, but he ended up like that situation. I decided to create an, an app company just helping kids on the spectrum. And well, right now we have more than half million kids across the world, mostly in US, UK, as well as Turkey. We are working with Minister of Education of the Turkey, and we, we reach education and speech therapy all, all across the world through the mobile devices. That is so cool. That's such a powerful outcome to make happen. That's such an accomplishment. That's so cool. Um, thank you. Oh, thank you. So, well, one of the things that, because we're here in the United States and we're constantly advocating for kids with special needs to get the services they're supposed to be getting and the supports that they need, and very definitely uh, the whole issue of alternative communication methods and kids who have language impairments who can't get their words out, but that doesn't mean they don't have words. I mean, I've worked for over 30 years with kids with every kind of disability you can imagine, and 
lots and lots of kids on the autism spectrum with language challenges and um but also across all age groups and so one of the things i wanted to ask you about because i did download and install your app and mess around with it so i could become familiar with it the graphics and the imagery and the age ranges it looks like on the app max out at like seven and older and for my kids on the spectrum who are middle school and high school age or young adult age they don't see themselves necessarily in the apps and the tools that are, are out there for children who are younger and the accommodations they need evolve over time as they get older and they may still have the language skills of a very young child but they are still a teenager on the inside and so my question to you was is there are there plans to expand the app to have a version that is more grown up and more adult looking and more age appropriate for teens and young adults that, that will follow them into college because i'm seeing kids who everybody thought they would never go to college but once they get the help it's like oh hey that's a possibility for you now but these tools can't follow them necessarily and so my question to you is are you looking to expand it to for to make the tools something that will support older users especially as your kids get older your child users yeah actually it's a great question because my brother got a older and older and we tried to test with my brother as well to while developing uh new content in the app and like uh at Oximo, we we approach the early and intensive education because like you you heard a lot of the time and you know it like if the kids can get early and intensive education the effects are right right those are my kids who are now growing up and going to college when in the when we first started when they were four and five years old that wasn't even a thought but now that yeah. they're 18 it's like oh my gosh look what you can do because we got all those services when they were little that's because like i realized that in us as well and in, in turkey and in a lot of the countries in the world because like we have a lot of a lot of uses all across the world we realized that like getting a diagnosis and then after that, getting the first education is a really big hustle. Like in the U.S. as well, like you need to go to IAP meetings, you yep. need to get the, what you need, and it's a big hustle, and you lose a lot of precious months, sometimes a year, to just getting the education. Right. That's because we, we, at first, we focused on the, like, really early and intensive skills, like, like small hand gestures or social skills and so on. But after that, we realized that we need to create a content in a really diverse community. That's because, like, right now in the app, we have more than 100 games. Some of them is really easy. Some of them is kind of middle schoolish. But we haven't, like, created, like, I can say that, like, we our apps is that pre-K to K2. But after K2, right now, we don't have real content. That's because right now we are developing new contents every month. Just keep updated. I don't think so we will create a, a content for university or high school and so on. But I believe in so we can, we can go to like pre-K to K, K-8 and so on. Uh, in, in the near future, we are developing contents for that. Well, definitely the early intervention is a huge part of it. I mean, that's certainly important. And... You know, my background is also in educational psychology. That's what my master's degree is in. And I can tell you from an instructional design standpoint, 
but also I've worked in IT. I've worked at, I, I, I can do some coding. It's not my greatest skill, but it's not like I don't have any coding skills at all. I understand what it takes to build something from scratch in code. And you want to start with the simpler skills and move into the, progress into the more complex skills anyway. You know, that those simpler, younger skills are foundational not only for human beings, but also for technology. <laughs> so it, you, you build on that not only with the kid, but with the tech over time, I would imagine. So that totally makes yeah. sense. Right now we are developing these apps for more than five years, and still I believe that we are in the like really beginning. Right. So one of the things, that, and we have a more than twenty people team. Like we have psychologists on team, we have educators, developers, designers, testers, a lot of people are at play, play designers, working with engineers, and so on. And it it takes a lot of time. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I'm just trying to envision what all the logistics are of making something happen, you know, like what you're doing. And it's just, what you're doing is moving the earth. It's huge. And you said something a moment ago that, that thank you, that really caught my ear. And that was, you know, the diversity within the autism community. And we have a saying over here that when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Because yeah. no two people with autism are alike, you know, just like everybody else, that no two brains are alike, even if they have a common disorder. And so how it manifests, and I've got, you know, and this goes to my next question, is, you know, I've got situations out here where we have students with IEPs that will say in the IEP that they're supposed to have an AAC device with hardware and software loaded on it, but they won't specify what they're using. They won't name the device and they won't name the software in the IEP as though all AAC tech is interchangeable. And it's not. Each, each, each technology is different and nuanced and every student has to learn that piece of technology as a way to learn language. And like if you start a kid out on Prolo Quo to Go and then you move that kid to another school and they see that, oh, well, you've got an, an AAC device with some kind of software in your IEP. We have to implement your IEP that you came in with, but we don't know what you were using. And they'll go off and get, you know, a, a Samsung smart pad with some kind of who knows what <laughs> software installed on it. And it's not the iPad with the Prolo Quota Go the kid knew how to use from the last school. And so what happens is their language gets taken away. And so I guess my question to you then becomes is if there's other technologies that are going to be used as these children get older, like Prolo Quota Go going into the adult world, do you think that it's wise to start them off on something different and then switch them? Or does it make more sense to get them accustomed to one piece of technology and have it carry them through? Or does it make sense to teach them more than one type of AAC tech so that if one goes out of business, the other one's still around? I mean, that's my concern is about the people in the public schools tend to think that AAC technology, if they're not specifically trained in it, they think it's plug and play, and you can pull one out and push another one in. And I wondered yeah, what your feedback like that. on that w would be. Yeah, my feedback on that, like, we have also AAC solution in our special education app. Right. Uh, we are targeting mostly young children instead of, like, Prolog to go or 
AAC devices as well. And I believe in so like we need to introduce the AAC to the people and individuals on the spectrum as soon as possible because like we have a lot of research also going on there. AAC actually doesn't have any disadvantages to, to learning a language. It also have advantages to learning language or concept or vocabulary and so on. I believe in so we need to we need to show the AAC in really early stages because it's it's helpful for them. And the second thing I, I need to say like that we need to find a way to like as I told study a different kind of solution. Like sometimes you need Toby Dynavox with a eye tracker device on it. Right. So technology, 
the new school's not going to know to put that in. And so what we run into is sort of a mixture of too vague of a description of the accommodation, as well as what you were talking about was sometimes over-specified to the point where there's no flexibility to try anything new. Yeah. So you don't you have to strike a balance where there's enough flexibility with the way the document is constructed that trying out new technologies is not prohibited, but what the child is familiar with is also not taken away. And so it comes down to the wording of the document. And I think that that's something that a lot of solution developers find frustrating when they enter into the American special education system because they're thinking, oh, America loves special ed. They actually have laws, and they make it free, and they do all this stuff. But when you actually try to participate in it, it looks a lot different to live through it than it looks like on paper. Yes, there's an embracing of it, but there's also all of these rules that get in the way of actually doing something about it sometimes. And so sometimes the rules are there to help, and sometimes they get in the way. And I think that especially as an international developer, for you coming in to try and uh, insert your product into that kind of situation and have been successful, that's enormous because that's not an easy thing for anybody to do. And for you to come from outside of the country and insert yourself into such a heavily regulated situation with a solution that people are actually adapting and accepting and using, I think that's huge. Uh, so that's congratulations on that. That's enormous. Actually, like the, the system in the U.S. is changing by states by states, and that's because, like, maybe the district to district. Yeah. And you are right there, both by involved in that kind of software. We are actually trying to be a company, like, family-friendly or uh, special individual-friendly. And what we try to provide an additional value, like, they can pick what they want. Right. And mostly... Most of the other companies, like there are big corporations uh, in the U.S., like they are selling in bulk, but they don't update their software for a long time, or they are not doing anything like specifically. That's, That's true. because like, and also some states and districts doesn't they need to cover by IEP by law, but they have a lot of bad, bad system. That's because kids couldn't reach out like the AAC they need. Right. That's because we try to find a way to be an affordable and accessible solution for all families instead of like binding the districts or states to, to just forcing them in a one single product. But you're also right on the other side, like if the kids start with some sort of a specific AAC, I think, I, I believe in so, they need to follow the same system in the other schools or other districts because like uh, they learn how to communicate through that like it's something like you learn it in english in in a di- one district and while you carry it on your school you need to you're forced to talk in french and it's, right it's impossible for you to actually it's something like that i agree taking away a special tag from their hand just because of the all discount or so like it's it doesn't help anyone it's right just helping the uh, uh maybe the district managers and so on that's exactly and that's a lot of what we run into is we run into administrators who spend zero time in the classroom who are business office people 
making decisions that affect the classroom based on finances, which is illegal, but it happens all the time, because they don't know any better. They don't realize their decisions are going to have that big of an impact on a kid. They're not even thinking about that because they're business office people. And so that's, I think it's, we're running into an issue over here with respect to how the bureaucracy is organized. It was created during the Industrial Revolution and emulates a factory. And even though modern business technology has evolved well beyond that, public education technology has not. Public agency technology is not. The public sector, our government agencies, are decades behind, technologically speaking, which I'm sure you've encountered with all of their different business systems and things and accounting systems and it's like none of them are running the same operating system none of them are running the same software (laughs) so it's a highly disparate situation and it kind of reminds me when i was working in it years ago around the the like the late 1990s early 2000s i went through that whole y2k thing in when i was working in it and at the time the customers that i had for the company i worked for were mostly in the freight forwarding business And it was when U.S. Customs was switching to paperless. And my goodness, the pandemonium and chaos that broke out amongst all of the people who handle paperwork for shipping goods back and forth overseas. I mean, this was all a paper-driven process, and and now Customs wanted to go paperless. And it it was something. And nobody had the same operating system. Nobody had the same software. But everybody's stuff was somehow supposed to magically talk to U.S. Customs electronically. And making that all come together over the span of like five to seven years was outrageous. But at the same time, I see that now happening in public education where we're finally starting to reach that place where we're just going to have to deal with it and do the upgrade. And I think that once the upgrades get done and we get to a more cohesive modern system, that it'll be a lot easier because we have better technology being implemented in the classrooms than we have being implemented in the business offices. And I think that that's a lot of the problem is that we have this antiquated bureaucracy responsible for teaching modern children. And so we have all, all these innovators like you bringing technology in but what's it supposed to integrate with? It's like a green cursor on a black screen or an amber cursor on a black screen. I mean, some of the tech is so old. And so I, you know, I know that you're having to go in and blaze a trail in a place where, you know, in a space in, in, in an industry where technology is not as easily as embraced as it is in other places. So that's another thing that you have to be proud of yourself for because that's another accomplishment to be able not only to come into the American market with all of the regulations involved, but also just all of the backwards technology that you're going to have to overcome. And so you, you've really taken on something that's enormous. You know, I have one last question. I have a young man on my caseload that I've been with for a very, very, very long time, and he's severely, severely, severely autistic, but he's even more severely intellectually disabled. I think the intellectual disability gets in his way more than the autism does. But when he was much younger, he was very self-injurious and he would hit his head against very hard surfaces like floors and, and roads and walls. And, yeah. and um, so he was a headbanger. 
and he would hit himself and he would hurt other people and it was because he couldn't get his words out and when he would speak people wouldn't take him seriously because he did a lot of scripting so they didn't listen to anything he said even when he was trying to speak for real and so it got to the point where the behavior became his method of communication and it took a long long time he had to be institutionalized to to break him of that habit and teach him to use his words again and to get him to you know where he could be more functionally communicative without engaging in these violent behaviors unfortunately in the course of all of this before i you know by the time i got involved with him a whole lot of harm had already been done and he had managed to as best as we can tell detach his own retinas from head banging so now he's permanently blind he hit his head so hard that he blinded himself or at least that's what the doctors are saying because he just all of a sudden his retinas peeled off the backside of his eyeballs and he couldn't see anymore and so you know and it was after years and years of head banging against really hard surfaces and his school would they didn't know what to do with him so they would just put him in a seclusion room and leave him in there to whack his head on the wall for 45 minutes at a time and needless to say there was a lawsuit and you know we got compensatory services for him but what we can't do with him now is teach him to use our traditional aac or any kind of device-based technologies where you know all of these wonderful things like what you've created because he doesn't have eyesight anymore he can't see the screen and so you know, we've had him evaluated by experts to help figure out what we can do for this guy. You know, and he's now my friend. I love him to death. He's my sweet little lamb. He, I mean, I don't have any behavior problems with him. But here he is now, you know, as a young adult, finally starting to say, okay, well, I'm, I, I think I want to have a life and, and do something with myself. And the, the tools and the resources are so now limited for him because of the eyesight loss. Because everything for autism is all about visual schedules and visual cues and, you know, and I can't do that with him. And so what we've had to do is I create tactile schedules for him where I take dollhouse miniatures and I glue them on a great big piece of uh, foam board and I make like a visual schedule. But instead of looking at it, he's got to touch each item and it moves through a progression so that he can, you know, follow the flow of what it is we're going to do. And once he learns the, the routine, once he gets that ritual down, he knows the order of events, I don't have to use the schedule with him anymore because he already knows what's coming. Now he knows the routine, but to teach him new schedules, I would have to glue together $200 worth of dollhouse miniatures off of Amazon onto a piece of, of board to give him an idea of what was about to happen. And what I'm not seeing, and so I'm kind of putting it out there, hopefully you'll. this is something you can think about, are tools for individuals with autism who are also blind or, or deaf and have these sensory impairments on top of the autism that makes the typical solutions inaccessible to them. And just your, your thoughts maybe of what you think might be a good way to go in terms of adapting a device for use with someone. Like I could see if someone has hearing, lo hearing loss, you could do vibration. You could make the device vibrate in the absence yeah. of sound. But for someone with vision loss, I don't know how you replicate a visual schedule other than to just audio record yourself, like in the voice recorder, you know, uh, just speaking your way through it. I've done that too, but it doesn't seem to be as powerful as a tactile schedule. And I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, when I talk to developers, what do you think about that? What do you think could be done for someone who's got multiple disabilities and the autism is just one of many? Yeah, it's a nice question. Like we also came across like people with hearing disorders with autism and so on. And we try to 
make our product as much as accessible for for that. I don't know literally like because we are not doing visual schedules. I don't know uh, in a, in specifically for visual schedule basis, but for the Apple devices, there is a like assistive disability techniques, and I know that for example, Prologue to Go has a system you can actually use the switches or you can they they will actually scan the screen with them but you need to teach them this assistive tech on the apple devices to the kids and i believe we are also developing our apps right now i can't say we are a hundred percent accessible for vision problems or hearing problems and so on but you can use that assistive settings in the settings the apple devices and combine with as it, it that assistive settings with the apps like us or prologue to go or if you are using a visual schedule app you should reaching out to developers and saying them like could you implement the assistive settings to our our your app uh, because we are using it for for this 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 and that's the only chance i can see from my point of view that stands to apple, reason apple has a great assistive settings for people with vision uh, problems as well as hearing problems that's because if he or she can can use that assistive settings while using the device apps also can be a part of it and you can use that settings in the specific apps and you can just scan the screen instead of picking seeing visually and and so on you will see hear what you uh, like the device actually loudly saying that what what they are clicking and they can actually talk thanks to that while just memorizing what what they are seeing and that's that's doable and a lot of companies are doing but yeah it's a one more additional step to teaching is it like an api where you if you're a developer you could reach out to apple and say hey we want to link in with your accessibility tools what's the code yeah. okay yeah, it's kind of a- Kind of an accessibility feature. You use that kind of specific codes in your in your app, and thanks to that, Apple accessibility feature actually can be used in, in the app as well. Uh, the name is is for you can use voiceover, or you can in the voiceover settings you have like Braille alphabet as well as like the others, and also hearing devices can be connected. to the apple devices and you can use for for specifically hearing disorders and so on that's because like the settings uh, if the app using that specific api or sdk for just specific assistive technology settings you can use it in the app as well and facebook google using this apis a lot you can test it out there you can see how they are how it's working and if you're using a one Visual scheduler app. You just reach out to developers and say what you want, and I believe in so they will implement it uh, in in near future. That's a really good point. I know that one of the colleagues that I work with, who I've actually had involved with this student in the past to teach independent living skills, she herself is blind, 
and she her whole house is a is an apple smart house at this point because she's become so dependent upon the apple technologies to as her accommodations but it's interesting you would say that because the first time i introduced the two of them to each other we met at a restaurant in the community that is entirely staffed by individuals with mental disabilities and we were there to to meet each other for him to meet her and i went inside to go get the menu and i there was a line and i had to wait through a, a this sea of people before i could even get the menu to bring it back out to him and, and read it to him and ask him what he wanted and my colleague had already looked up the menu on their website and had her phone read it out loud to the both of them so that by the time yeah. i got back outside with the menu he already knew what he wanted <laughs> yeah that, that, like that uh, yeah, Apple devices are expensive, but Apple as a company really pro-assisted technology. That's because like uh, their devices are best in case for using that kind of technology. Right, they they've got the most experience working with this kind of stuff. They've been doing it longer, and well, and yeah. I, and and just for the for the benefit of our listeners who are, are hearing this conversation, I mean, here in the United States, if you if you're on the autism spectrum, especially if you have other d- disabling conditions, other developmental disabilities. You're also going to be eligible for services from a Department of Developmental Services. And every state has a Department of Developmental Services. Now, again, federal regulations that come down from the top, just like special education law, but then how each state implements the federal regs varies from state to state. And so with developmental services, some states, the DDS is its own thing and you just go to the DDS office and that's who you deal with. It's a state agency and and they have offices in different communities around the, the state. But in California and in other states, it's a little bit different where you have what's called regional centers. And regional centers are not, here in California, are nonprofit organizations that contract with California's Department of Developmental Services and their function is to provide anything that someone with a developmental disability needs above and beyond what any of the other generic agencies have to do. So, for example, for a child who's in you know, K through 12 age, the school district is going to have the primary responsibility for meeting their needs in terms of publicly funded programming for people with disabilities. But if there's anything that doesn't have to do with school, like after-school child care or social skills in a non-school setting like a boy scout troop or something like that there's services above and beyond what the school is obligated to do those things fall to regional center so if a child gets an ipad with your technology with autismo loaded on it for example at school that's only for school if they need to be able to use it to communicate with people outside of the school day they need a second separate ipad that they keep at home and take out into the community and that's regional center because the school's only yeah. responsible for what happens at school or anything to do with homework you know anything the school related but if it's beyond that if it's just life in general now you're talking about regional center and for our individuals who have graduated from high school with a diploma or aged out of special ed and now they're young adults or and they're going out into the world regional centers in the departments of developmental services 
services are obligated to serve these people their entire lives, not just when they're children. So if someone is using an iPad with your technology or Prolo Quota Go or anything else, and then they're no longer a public school student, they've grown up, they've gone on, but they still need that iPad with that technology on it to communicate with people. Then they have to go back to DDS or regional center, depending on how it's configured in their state, and say, okay, well, this is a life functional skill thing for me. This is an activity of daily living. If I don't have this device, I don't have a means of communicating with people. And so the laws very definitely protect their communication rights. And so it falls on a different agency to purchase that equipment. It doesn't automatically fall on the shoulders of the families to come up with all this money to buy all of this tech. There's public dollars out there for it. Just people need to know which agency to go to for which circumstance. If you're talking about someone who is an adult who's looking to get a job and needs to have this technology to communicate in order to be employed, well, now you're talking about the Department of Rehabilitation, which is also federally funded and also uh, regulated under the same bodies of law as special education law on a federal level. But again, every state does it different. Some states will roll their Department of Developmental Services and their Department of Rehab together as one solid agency that takes care of both it, both of those responsibilities, where others, like in California, DDS is its own thing, and it's got its regional centers, and the Department of Rehabilitation is a completely separate entity that you have to go to, separate from everybody else, and go ask for their help. And so getting all of these different agencies that each may have uh, an individual responsibility to a one person can be a lot, but any one of these agencies could end up having to finance the technology, the communication device and software, that these individuals would need. And so I'm just putting it out there, not only for you, but for our listeners, that there's more than one way to get the job done. And if uh, one avenue is not appropriate for an individual, there may be another avenue that is and that could still make your technology accessible to people outside of just the schools, even if they can't afford to buy it personally. And so I just, you know, yes, I want my families who can afford it. They can just go straight there and get it. It could even be something they could get reimbursed on by the schools if they buy it themselves because the schools haven't given them anything appropriate and that ends up working for them. And so there's a lot of different ways here in the United States where families can access these tools, including your technology, even if it's not through the public school, there might be another way to do it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Have you worked with any other agencies other than the school districts out here? Not yet, but we would like to working with agencies and so on. Right now, we are on track to work. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to share your information with, here in California, we have First Five which is an early childhood intervention program separate from the schools, but it works with them sort of, but it's separate and it is all early intervention. And very often they're the ones yeah, making the referrals. Awesome. Yeah. They're, they're the ones often finding out, especially when you're talking about children from low income, non-English speaking families, immigrant families, they don't know what to look for necessarily. Or even if they see something's up, they don't know what to do. Yeah. Very often, First Five will be the one that catches it and makes the referrals and gets these kids into the appropriate supports and services. And so this is the kind of stuff that they're going to want to know about. So I'm very definitely going to share it with them. And then I'll also have it on our website and everything, and I'll put it out there on our social media. So I forgot to mention, we have also a Spanish version as well. Oh! Hispanic families are using our apps in U.S. just reaching out to special education. Oh, that's huge. That's enormous to know. I'm excited to see what your project is going to be doing as it expands use through here in the United States and as it evolves over time. I'm going to be putting links to it on our on this po- the post for this podcast.
wanted to to ask me about anything? No, thank you for your time. Like it was a nice coffee talk with you. Like I I I haven't imagined that like we are going to talk in this this bureaucratic situations and how how I am thinking about it. It, it was nice questions. Like it was the one of the best questions I ever asked. Thank you for that. Oh, of course, thank, thank you. Taking time and showcasing our product as well as me and happy to see you in in two years three years after this podcast and with the new products focusing on adults on on spectrum that would be really awesome thank you for listening to the podcast version of a discussion of instructional apps with zafar elsik of otsimo KPS for Parents reminds its listeners that knowledge powers solutions for parents and all eligible children, regardless of disability, are entitled to a free and appropriate public education. If you are a parent, education professional, or concerned taxpayer and have questions or comments about special education-related matters, please email us at info at kpsforparents.org or post a comment to our blog. That's info at K as in knowledge, P as in powers, S as in solutions, the number four parents p-a-r-e-n-t-s dot o-r-g we hope you found our information useful and look forward to bringing more useful information to you subscribe to our feed to make sure that you receive the latest information from making special education actually work an online publication of kps for parents find us online at kpsforparents.org KPS for Parents is a nonprofit lay advocacy organization. The information provided by KPS for Parents in making special education actually work is based on the professional experiences and opinions of KPS for Parents lay advocates and should not be construed as formal legal advice. If you require formal legal advice, please seek the counsel of a qualified attorney. All the content here is copyrighted by KPS for Parents, which reserves all rights.